This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Brothers and sisters, um, there's a, a little mistake that took place here. Um, I don't know who prepared this idea about me talking about sins and disobedience. Maybe some of your parents figure that some of you guys is kind of rebellious and they want me to talk to you about your sins and your disobedience. But I don't feel that's for me to talk about because I commit sins myself and I'm disobedient. So what I look like talking to other people about that? So I don't want to be no hypocrite and be talking to people about their sins and disobedience. Maybe there's some sheikhs with white beards and, you know, they, they pious people. And, you know, maybe they could talk to the people about that. But Khalid Yassin cannot talk to people about that. I mean, I can recite some ayats of Quran, but that's really all I can do. But what I like to talk about, I, really, so I told the brothers, you got the wrong title there. You didn't give that title to me. That's not what I talk about. I don't have no lectures talking about that. Not that that's not a good subject, but that's not a good subject for me. So, I think that's why there's a lot of young people that didn't come here. Because they don't want to be talking about sins and disobedience. So I'm switching, I'm flipping the script. That's what y'all call it, right? Flipping the script. Turning it over. And I just want to have an open floor discussion. An open floor discussion means any question that you want to talk about, that's what we talk about. So you will have anybody who wants to raise their hand and you got a question that's bothering you or issue that you want to discuss, then we just set some ground rules. You have to ask your question in 30 seconds. Not a minute, because I'm not asking you for a dissertation. I'm just asking you to ask a question that you think is important. I will do my best to try to answer that. But it's based on the challenges. Remember we, yesterday, how many people were here in the lecture talk yesterday? And your, your parents, they was really, really hot about, because I kept you too long. But I hope that they will understand that I didn't really understand. I didn't know that um, all the sessions were finished. Uh, so please apologize to them for me that I didn't know all the sessions were finished. But at the end, maybe they also didn't know that alhamdulillah two non-Muslims were sitting here and we didn't even give no dawah to them. They just took shahada. So they shouldn't have no attitude about that, right? So um, the ground rules is that you can ask anything that you want to ask. But it has to be based upon something that you consider to be a challenge in your life. Something maybe you can't talk to the imam in the masjid about. Something that you've been trying to ask your mom and dad about. Your uncles about. Or something that you know the scholars don't seem to be talking about. Something that your friends talk about, you talk about. Something you see on the radio or the TV or the movies. Or just something that's bothering you that you are willing to stand up and say shake. Listen, can you tell me so-and-so, can you inform us so-and-so, and I'll do my best. So This is not like fatwas. I'm not giving nobody no fatwas. There's some other sheikhs here that can give fatwas. I don't do that. I can just say to you the Islamic position on that issue, what I understand is this. And I'm talking to you like I'm talking to my children, like I'm talking to my grandchildren, or like I'm talking to a friend. So... That's what I'd like to do today if you guys want to do that. Um, because I don't have no lecture. Uh, I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't like the lecture to young people. I like, I like young people to come inside, put them old heads outside there, close the doors, all of them except me. Put all the whole old heads outside, close the doors, and then after that, then we can talk. Because I know as long as your parents is all around, y'all going to be looking around, see who listening, because you don't want to talk. But you can talk with me. 
Because I have talked about everything with my grandchildren. And when I say everything, I mean with a capital E. So there ain't nothing you can say that's going to surprise me or catch me like off guard. Because we have talked about everything from A to Z. Because I tell them, don't look at me like granddaddy. Don't look at me like your father. Look at me like your homeboy, your friend. You know, the one that you be rolling with. Let's talk like that. Then they say, really? Really? I say, really? So if I say something, you're not going to tell my mother you ain't going to? No, I won't. It's like, it's like the lawyer-client relationship. You know what that means? Do you know what that means? If you got a lawyer, your lawyer can never discuss your whatever. It's like the doctor-patient relationship. You know what that means, right? Your doctor can never disclose your medical records with somebody else. So when you go to someone who says that they're willing to discuss issues with you, it's that kind of an issue. Now, unfortunately, they're taping this here. So normally when I talk to young people like this here, we don't be taping. But since the brother's got the cameras rolling, then y'all should be aware that if you, you want to say something that don't want to get it back to your mom and dad, don't say it here. But for the record, let's talk about the challenges that young Muslims face, you are facing in your lives. So let's spend that time. So it's an open floor. I'll take like a question from the sisters and I'll take a question from the brothers. And you know, y'all sisters be on the phone, so don't be telling me y'all got to be writing stuff down and all that. Just not that kind of session. Sisters don't have to write nothing. Unless you really, you, you know, you really like a pious sister, you don't be talking in the public and you want to write it down, write it down and send it up here. Uh, then I'll answer it. So I'll take a question from the sisters and a question from the brothers. And we'll just handle it like that. From the sisters first. Yes. Okay, you got, you're going to have to speak up a little bit, sister, for me, please. Uh, Aki, is there a way we can close that door out there? Or leave, maybe leave uh, somebody there who can escort the people inside? Okay. Yes, go ahead, sister. I'm sorry. Okay, what I heard you say is something about movies, uh, uh, music, and fashions. And what is this? Huh? Oh, how do you control yourself? All right. Sister, there's really no one answer about that. You know, uh, how do fat people... I'll put, it, I'll put it another way. How do overweight people, how do they control themselves every time they're around some food? Not for real. Because, you know, you know, the whole issue is the nafs. Is it, right? The whole issue is the nafs. The nafs is like a wild horse. How do you control a wild horse? You've got to put a saddle on it, right? You've got to put bridles on it so you can control it. Our nafs is like that. It always want to be breaking out. It always want to be looking for something new to do this, do that. But the nafs always brings you into a problem for, and I just use the overweight situation as an analogy. So if you keep on overweight, keep eating and eating and eating, what you going to wind up? You're going to wind up by yourself. I mean, you're going to wind up not even liking yourself. Right? I'm just, just look at the analogy. So if you start, once you start listening to music, and you got to be honest, almost everybody, if you find a little baby, a baby, two years old, and you start playing some music, I don't care what kind of music it is, what does the baby start doing? They start moving, because it's natural to move with the beat. So it's innocent. It's inside of us. The heart is beating. The baby was inside the mother's womb. If she was playing music, the baby already got the vibe. Then the heart is beating, so it's already there. So music is natural for the human being, but shaitan takes advantage of that. That's why the Prophet said, want us to don't do that. So we have to 
understand that this music stuff, the Prophet said it's haram. Now that's, that's the first thing we got to understand. It ain't like no halal music. All, most of those nasheeds, you know, because what, what's been introduced into the Muslim world recently is something people call like some like halal type music. So it's first start out with, you know, some humming. You know, Allahu Akbar, Takbir, blah, 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 Muhammad Rasulullah, then somebody say, uh, uh. You know, then they start adding, then some brothers get on the stage, that, you know, they got some names, they spinning around like the four tops or whatever it is, and then some sisters being over there. Next thing you know, the Kufis is up and down, the sisters is swaying, and then they say, what, then what, it, what is it now? The machines done took off. They done added now. You know, they got saxophones, they got strings, they got drums. You know, so it's almost just like the rap that you're saying on MTV. It was haram from the beginning. So I suggest to you, be careful of the music, period. Now I know all you brothers and sisters, almost all of you, are listening to music. Now you might not want to be honest, and I'm not asking you to confess, but almost all of you, because we can't help it. We get into the elevator. It's music. You know, we turn on the television to listen to the news. Music. Everything we do, the music is there. You go on Walmart, they got all music. You know, you, you, you answer, putting on ringtones. Brothers got, brothers and sisters got these ringtones going off of the masjid with music. So it's just everywhere. Because the shaitan, his jinn be flying everywhere, suggesting to everybody. And then Muslims is inside their mind, it's like innocent. But it's not innocent. So the first thing you need to do is be on God. What does Allah say in the Quran? Ya ayyuhaladina amanu ittaqullah. Is right? Is that what the law says? Ittaqullah means be on God. Watch yourself. Be careful. Be mindful. So it means, first of all, tell yourself, like, what, what's the thing when somebody offers you some drugs? What you, what's the first thing you're supposed to say? Hello? Hello? That's what it is. First thing you got to do is say, no, I don't do that. So I don't do that doesn't mean I don't like that. Somebody say, don't you like music? You could say, yeah, you know, I, I do, but it ain't no good for me. It's just like I'm giving you an analogy again. A person say to a person, don't you like ice cream? Don't you like donuts? You know, don't you like mashed potatoes? Don't you like a lot of gravy? So if you overweight, you got to say, I do, but no thank you. Now, so I'm using the music because then that covered the movies. The movies is a double whammy. Because the music is something you're listening to. But then the movies is what? Is images. Now, the, the movies are presenting provocative images. People moving in different kind of ways and suggestive ways. And what's going on in the movies? Violence. People is killing. People is fornicating. With the eyes, people fornicating right in front of you. People are stealing. People are lying. People are swearing against God. People are robbing banks. People are disrespecting their parents. All kinds of things are happening in the movies, and we're just watching it and digesting it. I'll give you a statistic that you need to know about. The average American watches on an average of four hours of television a day. The average American. In the course of four hours of television a day, they witness over 1,500 acts of violence. And they don't even witness, they don't say nothing, they don't even blink. So if you witness those acts of violence on a regular basis, and you don't even blink, it means that your mind and your psychology has accepted it and tolerated it and you build up an immunity against it. Is it right? So after you build up an immunity against it, when you see Farahish in the society, when you see it in your neighborhood, you see people robbing people, I'll give you a good idea that you, you guys can relate to. There's a cartoon uh, called South Park. Y'all know about it. And so in that, in that cartoon, 
and I watch these things just to evaluate it, not because I like them, because as a sociologist, I have to be able to understand. So I got to watch it and check it out. So on one of these cartoons, uh, the guy is talking about old people. So he said, I hate old people. So the other guy said, why you hate old people? Because they're always telling me what to do and blah, blah, blah. So what, you, so what should we do about old people? I just wish some of them would just fall down the steps. <laughs> See, so, so in, the, in the cartoon, the boys, they see an old lady fall down the steps. You know, she fall all the way down the steps, an old lady. And they all laugh. Because it's a cartoon. But that old lady was somebody's grandmother. So when you watch the cartoon, because they laughed before, and you see the old lady walk fall down the steps, you laugh. But that's your grandmother. That's your grandmother. When you laugh at somebody else's grandmother falling down the steps, that's your grandmother. But you don't see it like that. So the cartoons are conditioning the children to disrespect their parents and to become insensitive to the injuries and the pain and the suffering of a mother and a grandmother. Follow what I'm saying? So if you watch this enough, after a while, and they also say, one of the guys' name, I forget his name, but he's, he called himself an underachiever. Listen to that. He said, he said what, what, you, what you do for life? He said, I'm an underachiever. So what does that mean? He's a failure. And he's committed to a failure. So everybody knows that's what he is. So he's one of the characters and he's popular. So and he's dressing with his hat cocked to the side. And he got the baggy pants on. And he say, you know, F the world. And all that kind of stuff. So he's like that. So, so when you see the boys in the street looking like that, what are they? What are they? They're underachievers. But it's been glorified. It's been put inside the mind. They have been conditioned to be underachievers. Psychosomatically, in the back of their mind, they have accepted to become a failure. See, so film is dangerous. We Muslims are watching, we are participating, but we are not controlling media. We should be controlling media. We should have our own media. That, that filthy media with the Farahish just on it. We should answer it with a moral media. But do we have it? No. Because we don't want to pay for it. i give you another instance. And I'm answering the sister's question here. When you go to Blockbuster and you and all y'all will be going to Blockbuster. I know that. When you go to Blockbuster and you don't go, your parents go. Y'all go to Blockbuster and pick up the movies. And, you know, you pick up like $15 worth of movies when you go. Because you don't want to be coming back and forth all the time. So you pick, you know, about $15 worth of movies. That's like five movies you can watch all week. So you spend $15 a week at Blockbuster. How much is that a month? Come on, y'all. It's four times 15. 60. Somebody here saw it. 40. Bong. <laughs> okay. Four times 15 is what? 60. $60 a week just to go to Blockbuster. But if I tell you to give $50 a month to Abu Bakr Sadiq Masjid for your children, for the, your women, and for your own life and your own community, you say, why? Because you don't believe that Abu Bakr Sadiq is giving you nothing for that $50. But you believe Blockbuster is giving you something. Now, I'm taking it another way. But when you pick up the movies from Blockbuster, what they look like? What kind of packaging does it have? Is it professional packaging? I'm asking you. Are the graphics clean, crisp, clear? Very nice graphics? Is the sound Dolby sound? I mean, you know, that's what it's called. Dolby sound. That's the most recent technology. Dolby sound. Is that on it? So you get the graphics, you get the sound, you get the packaging, and when you go inside Blockbuster, it's like McDonald's, isn't it? But when you go inside the Muslim bookstore, and you go get the DVDs of the different shakes that's talking about Islam all around, Tafsir, Quran, Aqidah, Dawah, whatever, what do the videos look like? They've, most of them have been pirated. It's right or wrong. Meaning that the originals... The Muslim bookstores take the originals because they don't want to pay for the originals. What the Muslim bookstores do? They copy them. And what the copies look like? They look like they're stolen. 
they put them, they're making them in the back room. So what kind of packaging is there? What kind of packaging? Substandard, is it? What happens to the sound? What happens to the graphics? And that's the whole pathology of the Muslim world. That Blockbuster is preparing us trash, but they packaging it like treasure. The Muslims, we got the treasure, but we packaging it like what? Trash. So I'm trying to send a message to you brothers and sisters that the issue of the movies, I understand you want to watch movies, but why don't you invest so that Muslims can create their own television, Muslims can create their own media, then we have something called halal media that we can answer that haram media. But we have to make an investment to do so. Now the last thing you talked about was fashions. Is that right, sister? Look, I don't know what kind of fashions the sisters want to be getting into. Because most of the fashions that the sisters are going to be wearing, they're going to be wearing outside, right or wrong. So what is that? So what, if they're wearing the fashions outside, who are they wearing them for? And you wearing it for your husband. You ain't wearing it for your father. You ain't wearing it for your brother or your uncle. Who you wearing it for? You wearing it so that somebody will catch you out the side of the eye. Woo-wee. <laughs> so, I mean, come, come on. What is the sister's fashion about? I mean, you got these sister's fashion show and the sister be going down that street, going down that aisle. They say it's like all sisters, you know what I mean? But they be going down that aisle just like them other girls be switching and flipping around, you know, and all that and who, you know. But the only thing they doing it with kimars and abayas and, but they got all the same little moves, moving their little hips and sliding around and over this way and check this out. And the sister saying, and this, something is done by that sister, Sister Georgiana or Sister Adriana or Sister Gorgeous. Or so and so, look how she looking. Check that. Would you like to buy that, sister? How much is that style left? I say that that is react. The sisters is exposing themselves. The sisters is preparing themselves to put on something that they will catch the eye of somebody. Right or wrong? So who are they trying to catch the eye of? They're trying to catch one of them young boys. They're trying to catch a husband. They're trying to catch somebody. I say that if they buy that dress with the intent to catch somebody, that dress is a dress of the fire. I say that that's a dress for a prostitute. Because the prophet said that there will become a time when the women will be fully dressed, but they will be naked. What that means? They're fully dressed, but they're acting like women who are what? Naked. So I say, sisters, when they come up with the fashion thing, say, thank you, but no thank you. If you want to do a little fashion show, you don't need, you know, do it like some sisters have a little thing, but not with no music and no walking and the spinning and all that. It's just like you got some stuff up on the racks for the sisters, nice kimars and nice abayas and nice shoes for the sisters and whatever the case might be. And for the sisters who are married, yeah, you can get some of that Gloria's Secret or Victoria's Secret or whatever you want to call it because, you know, they married, they want to jazz themselves up for their husbands. Oh, that's halal. That's halal. Really. If a sister, she want to make a line up for the sisters, you know, that they can wear inside, you know, for their husbands because everything is halal in the home. That's all right. So, but you don't put music to it, don't be jazzing it up and doing it like the Kaffirs do it. You're just providing a service for the sisters that sisters need among themselves. Nothing is wrong with that. But don't copy the Kaffirs. So I know that was a long answer, but I just want to make sure I cover the three different parts that you asked. Okay, brothers. Yes. Uh, I have a few questions. I just uh, asked one time. Uh, where is the Muslim community? Uh, one of the problems is, uh, in my, my opinion, it is uh, the leaders 
Is that a question? Yes. So when, when the people who is leading the homework... Uh, brothers and sisters, when we have uh, someone asking a question, we have to uh, show the discipline of patience uh, so we can all concentrate with respect on the question. Go ahead. When the people who is in the position of leading people to do that... Yes. Good. Let me deal with that question first. <laughs> Look, if there's four of us in the car and we got a driver, he's, you know, he's the designated driver, right? I don't mean because, you know, all the rest of us are drunk. He's a designated driver just because he got the license and we believe he knows the way. Or it might be his car. So we say, you the, you the driver. And we all traveling together, right? So the Prophet Sam said, if there is three of, if there's two of you or three of you or whatever on a journey, you have to choose one as what? What did he say? He said, choose them as an Amir. This ain't no country. This is just a trip. Because the Prophet Sam wanted there to be a leader, even on a trip. Why did he need to be a leader on a trip? Because we might fall into disagreement about where we going. Should we go back? Should we go forward? Should we go right? Should we go left? We started arguing who got blah, blah, blah. Somebody got to have the last word. Is that right or wrong? So there had to be a leader who says, I heard what everybody said, everybody suggested all that there. My decision is, and we cannot, once the leader, the Amir say, let's move forward, unless he doing something haram, we got to do what? We had to follow. So follow what I'm saying now. But now, so if we in this car and we got a leader, a driver, a Amir, whatever you want to call it, but it seems like he keep on falling asleep. I keep seeing his head dipping. I say, brother Amir, a brother driver, homeboy, whatever you want to call him, why don't you pull over and let somebody else drive because, man, I see your head dipping. He said, no, I'm all right. I'm okay. But I see him, he, he's swerving now. I say, brother, shake, please. Pull the car over and let's either take a rest, make salat, let's get something to drink, something to eat, whatever. Or let somebody else drive. He said, no, I'm all right. What the other three people got to do? We got to say, Ya Aki, Ya Sheikh, pull that car over right now. Right now. All three of us say, pull it over now. Do you think he going to say, leave me alone, I'm all right. No, he ain't going to say that because he understands that our life is in jeopardy. Is it right? Are we going to allow him to put our life in jeopardy just because he's the Amir? Huh? I'm asking, is it, would he? So now I'm answering your question that I disagree. I say, yes, the leaders do hold responsibility, but we hold accountability. And if we don't put the leaders in check, if we don't support the leaders, if we don't suggest to the leaders, if we don't put the leaders in check, then that means we have allowed them to do whatever they do, then we're going to blame them because they crashed the car with us in it. So let's be fair. My suggestion when I talk about the issue of community, I'm not talking about it just as a problem. I do have what I consider to be a, method, method, uh, 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 a methodology that will reach a conclusion that is Islamic because Islam already has a solution for all the problems. So the problem that we have, the lack of jamaah, that we need to initiate the process to establish the jamaah. But if you think you already got the jamaah, are you going to initiate the process? So I always ask the question like that. Where is the jamaah? First I define it, then I ask, where is the jamaah? Now, I don't make me no difference if all the imams and sheikhs and all of them is in this room here together. I'm going to ask the same question. Where's the jamaah? When they can't answer, that means there is no jamaah. Now, somebody's afraid. Somebody don't want to put themselves on the spot. Somebody want to take the responsibility. Somebody doesn't want to admit. Or all of us is in denial. If you're all in denial, then the, the disease or the malfunction or the whatever the situation that you have, if you're in denial, everybody knows that once you're in denial, you can't change the situation. Is that correct? 
I'm asking a question. If you're in denial, you can't change the situation. So I say all of us needs to study the issue of jama'ah, the young and the old. Ali ibn Abi Talib was how old when he became a Muslim? Nine years old. Was he? Ali ibn Abi Talib was nine years old. The first Muslim to follow the Prophet ﷺ, but he was a boy. So he was nine years old. And he was intelligent enough at that age that when he heard what the Prophet ﷺ's proposition, he accepted. Is that right? How old was Osama bin Zaid when he was appointed as a general over the army? Who knows that question? How old was he? Some people said 16. So between 9 and 17 is how many years? 8 years. So I say that even the young people who are between the ages of 9 and 17, you have a responsibility to ask the question, where is the jama'ah? You have to study it. Because on the day of judgment, those of you who are 12 and 13 and 14 years old, you young men, young semi, who already start getting older to your body and got hairs growing up on your body and stuff like that, and sisters who have their menstruation, you become responsible for your salah, and you become responsible for fasting, and you become responsible for many things. So I say, the answer is that we have to study the issue, and then we have to go to our respective leaders and ask them, shake. What is your perspective on the issue of jama'ah and where you stand at and when do you sit with the other leaders in order to produce that jama'ah? And don't be afraid to ask that question. That's a halal question. And nobody's going to put you in jail because we're not in Egypt. Nobody's going to put you in jail because we're not in Arabia. We're not in, Iraq. we're not in Syria. We're not in Jordan. We're not in Iraq. We're not in those places where you can't ask those questions. We are in America, and we can't ask those questions. And we must ask those questions. Okay. A sister, she asked a question. Uh, uh, brother, I hope that, you know. Uh, thanks for your lectures. I agree with you when you said yesterday that we should invite non-Muslims to this kind of a meeting. But my question is, how do we invite them? You invite them the same way they invite you. You know, non-Muslims, they, they ain't got no shame to, when they want to invite you to do something. They don't care if you're wearing hijab, jilbab. They don't care if you're wearing a kufi. They don't care what you're wearing. They say, look, man, you get take your puff on this smoke. You know, you get a puff on this joint, you know what I'm Make your kufi lift up. Yo, sis, get you a snort of this. Yo, sis, check out this new Beyonce joint. Yo, sis, check this. So the Catholics be asking you, inviting you. you listen, we can go to this party. We can cut school. We're going to cross over here. Yo, they're going to be all kind of boys up in there. You know how they be talking to them Catholics. Y'all go to school with them. Every single day, them Catholics be inviting you to do something that's haram. Right or wrong. Or you be hearing it. Right or wrong. So if they ain't got no shame to ask you to do something that's haram, why we have so much shame? to ask them about something that's halal. I say, you got to be home and you got to practice talking. Say, when somebody asks you something that's haram, you got to ask them, why? Why are you asking me to do that? What, what good is me for, what good is there in that? Is that going to help me in school? Is that going to help me with my dignity? Is that going to help me with my career? Is that going to help me with my family? Is that going to help my reputation? What's that going to do for me? Make them answer the question. Then they say, oh, you square. You say, yeah, and you round. And when you round, that means you, you rolling easier. Right down to hell. I'd rather, if, I, I'd rather if, if it's a road going to hell, I'd rather be square. Because the square ain't moving. You know what I'm saying? You've got to really push the square to move over. But if you round, you're going right to hell easy. You round and you downhill. Tell them you round and you down. So you got to prepare yourself to answer. And you got to prepare yourself to ask. You invite them towards what is good. Ask them, listen. Um, we hold in a study circle. When they tell you, say, oh, we're going to a party. So I ain't got no time for no party. We hold in a study circle because everybody in the study circle, our aim and objective is to get straight A's across the board. They say, oh, please. 
So yeah, all right. It's all, it's all the truth. But look, keep this in mind. All of us in the study circle, our ambitions to be doctors, lawyers, nurses, architects, and uh, computer engineers, so forth and so on. And y'all go ahead and smoke some weed. Y'all go ahead and drink. Y'all go into the parties because you're going to be the ones, as a lawyer, you're going to be my client. See, when you get ready to, when you need something, I'm going to be there. When, I, when you get to the hospital, I'm going to be there. When you need to build something, I'm going to be there. When you come down to the welfare office because you ain't got no job, I'm going to be there. So, no, I ain't got no time for no party because I want to be there when you get to the other place. Tell them that. So you got to have an answer, sisters. Now, in terms of inviting non-Muslims to a session, don't say to them you are inviting them to a Muslim gathering because somebody going to talk to them about Islam that maybe they want to be a Muslim. Bong. That's the wrong way. Ain't nobody coming to nothing like that. They say, hmm, oh, thank you, but no thank you. No, you have to say to them, listen, what you think about life? Is there some questions about life that you can't answer? Are there some questions about life that's critical to you? For instance, do you like money? They say, what they say? Yes. yes. Okay. Would you like to ha be successful in life? What they say? Yes. yes. Would you like to uh, have good health? What they say? Yes. yes. Would you like to have long life? Would you like to have friends? Would you like to have influence? Would you like to have a good relationship with your parents and the society? Would you like to become a leader in the society? What's the answer? Come to that lecture. They said, what, what kind of lecture is that? Just come. Matter of fact, look, if you come, I'm promising you, I'm going to give you $5. So your next question, you say, well, I'm going to give $5 give them. When they get there, the Muslims going to give them $5. We're going to give them a $5 what they call them uh, uh, when you go someplace and you buy something and they give you a certificate, you don't get the $5, but it's, they call it like a rebate. So when they come, we're going to give them a $5 rebate. So what the rebate? You go out there, there's some books and stuff out there, all on the thing out there, some other little gifts and stuff, give it to them and they're going to get that free, free, free. So you didn't lie to them, you can give them $5, but it's just not $5, cash. They might say, oh, you tricked me. So, okay, good. Then we, for those people who said that, we're going to raise that money and get them $5. Why not? If we bring 100 non-Muslims here and all of them demand $5, we can give them the $5. Why? Because I guarantee you that if you invite 100 non-Muslims here and you got the right person talking to them, 10 of those people is going to become a Muslim, inshallah. Is it worth it for us to have 10 non-Muslims to take the Shahada for us to give everybody $5 for them to come. Is it worth it? Will we, we, would we be willing, would our parents be willing to give us $5 to give to a non-Muslim for them to come? They should, because if I beg my father and mother for $5 to go to Great Adventure or some other stupid place just to have some fun, they give me $15, get me out the house because they want to do something. So we got to find ways, brothers and sisters, to get those non-Muslims here. But you can't think like a Somali, and you can't think like an Arab, and you can't think like an Asian, and you can't think like that. Because if you think like that, you'll never be able to get them to the place. you got to think like an American. you got to think like a Muslim in America. Because ain't, nobody ain't no non-Muslims coming to no Somali gatherings unless you was just inviting them to eat some sambusa. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm just kicking it to you real now. I'm just telling you the street. If you go out there in the street and kick it with them homeboys down there and tell them, say, yo, I want you to come to a little dawah session. They said, man, what's that? So some, so a brother from out of town, he talking about Islam. He said, man, look, bring me the tape, man. I ain't got no time for that. They, they ain't hearing it. They ain't feeling it. He said, yo, check this out, man. Come over here for 30 minutes. And them people giving out five dollars, man. You got to do but sit up there for thirty minutes. If you, you know, you can go to sleep if you want to, man. They can give you five dollars. Yo, check, check, man. Where they at? Where they at? So you gotta, you gotta figure out how you want to do it. It's a technique. Don't wait for your mothers and fathers to do it. They don't know how. 
I have been all over the world. All over the world. Asia, Africa, India. I've been all over Europe with Muslims. They don't know how. Every time we do something for Dawa, 5,000 Muslims, 500 Muslims show up. It's a Dawa conference. It's a Dawa for the non-Muslims. Ain't nobody show up but the Muslims. It's just like we prepare a banquet for the non-Muslims and all the Muslims come eat the food. Sister, brothers, you young people have to find ways to influence your associates, your schoolmates, the people in your neighborhood, because they will find ways and they be figuring out all kind of new ways to influence you. So it's a battle of the minds. It's a psychological war. It's a spiritual war. When you go to, work, go to, go to school, be equipped to deal with that psycho psychological situation every single day. Because people is, is trying to win your spirit. They're trying to win your mind. They're trying to win your heart. Change you from your family, from your religion, from your beliefs, and from your principles every single day. When you're watching TV, the TV is trying to go inside your heart and put ideas inside your mind, inside your heart, and trying to make some of y'all accept lesbianism and homosexuality like they natural people. Check that out. They're going to put it in your mind when you say, oh, I know it's wrong, but, you know, they're human beings. They should make their own choice. Isn't that what they say? After all, you know, it's a gene inside them. It ain't their fault. They got a gene that's spinning around and there's like a homo gene. They got a lesbo gene in them. It ain't their fault. Just someday they woke up one day and they just said, I want to be a homo. No. It's a behavior that they have accepted. It's a behavior that was cultivated. They have been conditioned to become that. And they want you to accept that. Because even if you don't become a lesbian, even if you don't become a homosexual, you will accept it. Once you accept it, you are on the other side and you become an enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you have accepted something Allah had told us to reject. Do you follow me? So it's very important, brothers and sisters, these questions that we're talking about, we ain't having fun here. We answering some serious stuff here, and I really wish we had more time. One of the problems I told these brothers is that, look, man, check this out, man. Y'all ain't giving up enough time for these young folks, man. This whole thing should really about these young folks. All these old heads coming up in here, man, get them two sessions, let them go. Talking all this, uh, hey, look, it's all right. Have a conference for Fik, Tafsir, you know, all the Quran and everything, and then have another whole half a day. Every, for three days, half a day, just with the young people. That's what I think should happen. Because if we don't put enough time into it, we don't give enough time for things to develop. Okay, uh, can I get that question, brother? Not a question. Oh, it's a statement? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll read the statement. Okay. Say, we are having... What? A dayat. Oh, a dayat sisters booth, and we encourage all sisters to come and re re register for our program. Inshallah, please, uh, sister, ask for a free advertisement. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Please come and get free books, CD, ROMs, and pamphlets about. Okay, it's free. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I'm create because I was going to ask for a commission. Yeah. Da creating a network of Muslim law white bars. Say takbir. Everybody should go out there and see the sisters. That they got a little diet booth. Sisters. May Allah bless the sisters. The brothers ain't got no diet booth. <laughs> you know, you know, one kudo for the sisters. One tack beer for the sisters. Okay, can I take another question from the sisters? Yes. Yes, in the back. Well, well, no, no. I took a question from the sisters. I took a question from the brothers. Well, we got to let the sister take another one, man. You know, let's say y'all be taking dip. I don't want to take two wives, so let's take get two questions. <laughs> Come on, go ahead. Well, that's two. That's two issues, and I'm going to deal with each one. First, I say that if young sisters want to aspire to go to university or college, why not? They need to be educated. But they need to be educated, but they need to be protected. So I say that a young sister living in America, in the world that we live in today, it is dangerous for her to go to the university, period. That's one. 
dangerous. So that means she got to have more protection around her. She got to make more preparation. Because she's going to be in a situation where she's sitting in the class every single day. Boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. You know how they sit in them universities, right or wrong? Secondly, she's going to be exposed to situations going through hallways. She's going to be in situations, you know, sitting in lunchrooms. She's going to be sitting in situations where, and you know how the university is. University is wild. I mean, they got sororities and they got fraternities and they drinking and drugging and they got faggots and homosexuals and all kind of crazy stuff going all around and everybody is listening to all that stuff all day long. Everybody doing the bounce, boop, boop, I mean, all day. So the sister, she there. Now, I'm just kicking it to you real because I got daughters and, they, you know, they ask me the question. So I say that's a provocative environment. And I say that a father or a mother that just send their children out to that kind a daughter to that environment, they out of their minds. However, if there's a Muslim student organization on the campus and a place for the sisters to pray and a place and they and they kind of like uh, look out for the sisters, advise the sisters. Uh, sisters, when you want to eat lunch, we got a little special section over here. Yo, sisters, uh, when y'all want to do your little study, a little computer, we got a little section over here. We got our own little place to pray over here. And we got our little uh, our student activity over here. So the sister is on the campus, but she got the eyes and ears and the protection and the guidance of other Muslims on the campus. That might be helpful. But let's go to the next part of your question. Next part, absolutely not. No. Because once she move out the house and go on the dorm, what's going on in them dorms? Parties. And then they got co-ed dorms. How does sister J Well, wait a minute. Come on. Think about this now. If you're in a co-ed dorm, that means brothers and sisters across the whatever it is, and they all up and down all night, in and out, brother taking showers, sister taking showers. I mean, the sisters come out with their load, whatever. Oh, excuse me. You know, uh, come on. You can't do that. You can't be walking in no co-ed dorm with your little hijab on and, you know, like, mashallah, you Muslim. And sister, man, kid, I'm about to, hey, baby girl, what's going on with you? <laughs> you? Hey, come on, you know the brother be saying, right? I know you're Muslim, but boy, you be looking good. So what you going to say with that? They going to do this every day. Then they say, come on, girl, why you wearing that stuff way down there like that? I mean, your Islam tell you got to do that? Put it around you, let me see what's going on. So every single day, then the girls who's in the dorm with you, some of them is gay, lesbian. You don't know what's going on. They in the showers, they trying to, you know, what's going on, girl? Hey, let me give you a hug, kiss, whatever. So I say no. Don't send your daughters to no dorm, living off the, whatever. Absolutely not. A parent who does that, they really, I say really, to be honest, they are traitors. They are out of their minds. They got to be blind or stupid or both. Because where is your little girl going? Uh, they, you need to take the parents to the university, to the dorm. Let them see what's going on in there. No, absolutely not. And the sister herself, who even prepared herself to do that, what's she trying to get away from? Oh, she want to be free. She want to be independent. She want to do her own thing. She want to move away from her parents because they be always on her case. So now she want to get away. Once she get away... What's happening now? She ain't got no rules. So, a person that got no rules have nobody around them except what? Fools. No rules is for fools. So I say absolutely not. Don't sisters even prepare to do that and don't no parents allow them to do that. Now let me tell you something that's better for you. I'm not saying you. Let me say what's better for the sisters. Today you got what's called um, um, uh, they got, they call it uh, university without walls. You heard of that? Okay, it's called long distance learning. You heard that? So it means that you can apply for most universities while staying at home. You pay the, you pay the tuition, you pay for the books, you register, you take all the courses, you get all the books, and you, your classroom is at home. Tell me what's better, for you to do that or to go to the university campus and all that to matriculate? Which one is better? Because if you really want to study and you really want to get that degree, you will do it faster at home if you're disciplined as a Muslim than you will if you was on the campus. So I say that sisters who want to go to university, go ahead. Compete. Become doctors and lawyers and, uh, and architects and engineers and everything you want to do. But do not subject yourself 
to that university environment unless you have to. And if you have to, choose a university where there is a Muslim student organization there who can protect you, who can mentor you, who can help you reasonably. That's my answer to you, sis, and I hope it's not too, too harsh, inshallah. Yes, little brother. One moment. The little brothers, assalamu alaikum. Uh, it's quarter after one, so, so look, they're going to get ready to ring that bell on me. So um, probably we're going to take one or two questions, and then we got to go. And I'm going to ask the brothers, you know, maybe we can do another session some kind of way, because I see this is where we really need to talk. So, but this little young brother said, is it haram to what? To what? Is it haram to be an NBA player? <laughs> Come on, don't laugh. It's all right. He want to get some money. He ain't thinking about basketball. He, he, he say NBA. No, it's not haram uh, for a young man to have the aspirations to become a professional athlete. However, it is makru, meaning that it is disliked. Why? Because on the way to becoming an athlete, he has to expose himself to what all athletes are doing. And that is, they got to be mingling with the girls and you, the cheerleaders, shook the booties and the do. You know, you know, you ever been to them games? So you in an environment, you know, you in an environment where they all shaking and jumping and splitting and going around and, you know, the music and the whole, it ain't just about putting the ball inside the basket. Then the boys, they be taking showers together naked. I mean, you know, you're going, I look, if you know, you go in the back room after the game. What's everybody inside the locker room doing? They all got their clothes off, walking around, taking showers together, shouting at each other, where we going to the next party together. Now, there are some Muslims who have went into the NBA and they're decent Muslims. That doesn't mean that it's halal to do that. It only means that Muslim was already determined to become an athlete or became an athlete or whatever but they became a good Muslim alhamdulillah for that but that's not an example for us to send our young boys to enter the professional football, basketball, whatever the case might be or our young sisters to do that I say no it's my crew because you got to expose yourself to those kafirs you got to expose yourself to the music and the fawahish I mean you know the nakedness and the dancing and the, all that kind of stuff like that and it distracts you away from the serious issues of akhirah and it makes you think to yourself that having fun and throwing a ball you're going to get $100,000 a year or you're going to get a million dollars and only one in 100,000 people are going to get that and it probably won't be you. Now I ain't going to say you can't shoot no basketball now. We're going to see tomorrow or the next day. But you probably won't get to the NBA. I mean put that in your mind right now. Not that you can't but only one in a hundred thousand. And if you try to be one of them hundred thousand you're probably going to forget all the Quran you got right now. And we don't want you to do that. You follow me? You feel me? Alright good. I'll take assistance. Right there. Assalamu alaikum. Fajr, mashallah, good question. Sister, what should you do if you got a problem waking up for Fajr? Now that's a question for everybody. Because look, look, check this out. Hold up now. Smell it now. The sister got a good question. Because most of y'all that's in this room right here, y'all ain't made no Fajr this morning. How many people here made Fajr this morning? Tell the truth. Law Akbar, how many people didn't? Don't nobody want to raise their head. <laughs> See? See? Alhamdulillah. Now the sister's question is, what should you do? The best thing, Assalamu Alaikum. The best thing to do is prepare yourself the night before to make Fajr. Make the niyyah inside your heart the night before. Say, I want to make Fajr. Prepare yourself. You know, put your, you know, put your thobe out, put your, put your rug over there, and all that, and, you know, if, if you don't listen to that alarm clock, it ain't loud enough, get you one of them things that just ring like it, it ring like it fall off the, the thing. You know, just like scare you, you know, they got them alarm clocks just like that. That's, it'd be so loud when it go off, it just make you like, like you got a nightmare, you just wake up, wow, what's going on? You need one of them. You need maybe something to go off, just be so loud. And, and then don't put the alarm clock next to you. Because if you put the alarm clock next to you, when you what did you do? You hear it. 
<laughs> you know, you do like. So put the alarm clock across the room. So when it go up, you got to get up. And you'd be a real fool to get up and put the alarm clock off and go back to bed. <laughs> so I say, prepare yourself with good near. Train yourself to make Fajr. Fajr is for soldiers. Fajr is for soldiers. Fajr ain't no easy thing to do now. When you make Fajr on a regular basis, you soldiering. Allah, he loved that. But everybody can't beat that. Everybody can't beat the sheets. The sheets ain't easy to beat. They be so, like, Fajr time, them sheets really get warm. That's like you just getting there, you just getting in the next motion. Fajr time, you just getting that, that next sleep. Boom. Shaitan say, the prophet says, let me give you the hadith for the brother, cut me off. Uh, the prophet says, when one of you goes to sleep, listen to this hadith. The Prophet Sam said, Hello? The Prophet Sam said, When one of you goes to sleep, Shaitan ties three knots behind your ear. And while you're sleeping, Shaitan, he blows on those knots and tells you that sleep, the night is long. Assalamu alaikum. Oh, he translating. Somebody translating? Huh? Are you translating? Okay, then y'all can't be holding no conversation while I'm holding conversation. Otherwise, we got to stop listening to you guys. So, the Prophet Sam said, When one of you goes to sleep, Shaitan ties three knots behind your ear. And while you're sleeping, he blow on those knots until you say, Sleep, the night is long. you got lots of times to sleep. So, the Prophet Sam said, When one of you wakes up and sits up and says, Subhanallah, then one knot is removed. Come loose. When you go make wudu, another knot comes loose. And when you pray, another knot is loose. And shaitan have no control over you for the rest of the day. And you got a good smell about your body and a good disposition the rest of the day. But for those of you who continue to sleep, shaitan pees in their ear. He urinates in your ear. I don't know what shaitan's urine smell like. <laughs> so the Prophet Sam said that shaitan urinates in your ear. And when you wake up and the sun is in your face, see, you got a bad smell to your body. And you got a bad disposition. And shaitan is with you for the rest of the day. So that means, hey, that's, you know, that's heavy. See, now you think about it now. When you get up and you make fajr, when you get up in the morning, first thing you say is, Subhanallah. Get up on, in, on the side of your bed, rub your eyes, and say, Subhanallah. So one thing, shaitan removed from you, because now you're sitting up, right? You're sitting up. So the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, you hear that alarm clock, sit right up. Rub your eyes, get your head together. Then after that, about, about 30 seconds, go right to the water. Don't be fooling around. Go right to the water. Wash up. Now you're already half, you're halfway down the path. Go on and make that slot and then see how you feel. Subhanallah. Then you can go on back to sleep. Because you already did the job on shaitan. You already got control of your day now. You got the barakah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you build up that fajr discipline, you build up that fajr discipline, when you miss fajr, you feel so disappointed. Don't you? But the people that don't have no fajr discipline, but they be oversleeping every single day. They don't even feel nothing. They ain't got no barakah with them. So, that's what I suggest for you. Get alarm clock if you need help. Build up the discipline. Ask Allah. Make dua. Read Quran. Make preparation, preparation. Fix your mind to make fajr. That's just like if you knew you had to go to court. Or you knew you had an appointment that next day. You had to get up at 7 o'clock because it was some money involved or your job that's involved. Is you going to miss it? Ah, because you're going to prepare for this, right? Same thing for the project. Okay, uh, I think we got to... Says, Assalamu Alaikum. It, is it okay for sisters to wear skinny... Oh. Shining hijabs. No, I, I would recommend for the sisters... The, it's better for sisters to wear darker colors than the lighter colors. I didn't say you can't wear the lighter colors. It's better the darker colors. Why? Because the lighter, brighter colors you wear, and the more attention you draw to yourself. And you don't maybe intend to draw no attention to yourself, but, assalamu alaikum. But the intent of the hijab is to cover. The intent of the hijab is to make you more subtle, to make you a little bit less seen, 
for you to basically be able to move in and out without being seen. But you know, if a sister, she walking across the thing like a peacock, you know, everybody, whoop, you know, they'd be like. So I'm not saying what you wear, sister, it's up to you to wear what you want to. But if you look to the rules of hijab, you will see that modesty is the issue, isn't it? Not to be seen, but it is kind of like for you to be on the scene, but not to be seen. So always choose something to wear that doesn't draw a lot of attention to yourself. But if you're wearing a hijab with a whole lot of sparkles on it, you know, or you got, you know, Diana, what's that, what's those, uh, what's those hijabs they got now with the, with the emblems on? They got CK. What's her name? Huh? Calvin Klein and Donna Coran and what's the other one uh, uh, with the cross on it? What's that one? Huh? No, no, it's not Chanel. This is another one. It's got the cross on it, but the sister don't see the cross. Christian Dior. See what it say? Sister, why in Christian Dior, uh, uh, Kimar, they sell them in Mecca. It's got the cross on it. Sister, make it to wife with the cross on it. See how the shaitan be doing us. No, sisters, try to wear your hijab nice, soft, subtle, you know, without no pizzazz and a lot of flour and with that camel hump on the back and all that stuff. You know, try to get away from that kind of things. But a lot of the best know, at least if you're covering up, you're covering up. But try to get better. Study the rules of hijab and try to get better as you go along, inshallah. And Allah is the best knower. All right, brothers and sisters, I got a sign here that says, The End. So it means I got to stop here because we got to pray. Oh, one more, hold on, one more. Just wait, wait, brothers. Oh yes, brothers. One we'll take that one question. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Last question, inshallah. Salam alaikum. Okay, young people, listen, I feel you. I understand, because I want to get married again. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I understand how you're feeling and how frustrated you are because your parents don't seem to be facilitating nothing. You know, the parents, they already married, they smooching, you know, they already got children, they got their little bedroom and their own family, but it seems right there, they ain't caring about their children. Every time the children say, Mom, I want to get married, you ain't ready yet. You finish high school, finish, finish college. Well, you know, that's not the right answer. It's not fair. It's not Islamic. So, what do you do? I suggest, I suggest to the young brothers and sisters that if you wanted to buy a car and your parents say you can't buy no car, but you got a job, I suggest you start saving for that car even though they did not give you permission to buy the car yet, right? So at one point you're going to say, Dad, look, I'm not asking you to buy me no car. I'm 17 years old. I already got a driver's license. I already saved up for the car. I'm just getting your permission for me to go ahead and buy me a car. Okay. So I'm using that analogy to say that you young brothers and sisters need to put together a conference. Organize it yourself. Bring the ayats of Quran. Bring the ahadith from the Prophet ﷺ. Set up a conference to discuss this issue about facilitating marriage for young people and then ask people like myself who don't mind coming and telling your parents what the truth of this matter is. Don't wait for your parents or for the MSA or for Masjid Abu Bakr Sadiq or, or for anybody else. Don't wait for them to hold that conference because you might be 30 years old before they do it. And some of y'all may have already fell into the butter. You know what I'm talking about. You know when the fly fall in the butter. That means he fell in. So some of y'all, if you don't do this, is going to fall off into something. And maybe your mother and father ain't going to know until you got to take the after morning pill. Or maybe your mother and father don't know until something happened and somebody pop up and say, you know, you made them pregnant. And I'm not talking about something that don't be happening in the Muslim community. It's just that we be covering it. Young brothers and sisters are fornicating in the Muslim community. 
Young sisters is getting pregnant by Kaffirs and young brothers in the Muslim community. It's happening, but we don't talk about it. And the parents is ashamed, so they don't talk about it. But I talk about it because I know it's happening. So I say, this, this is a plague. This is an issue that we have to address. And I say that you young brothers and sisters that are 16 and 17 are in college and high school. You are intelligent. You know how to talk. Put together a conference so we can discuss this matter. Because it's not difficult to address this matter. We can do a situation where we can have a three-day conference. And even before we do the conference, we have had young brothers and sisters fill out applications of their qualifications for marriage and all of that before we even go to conference. And when we do the conference, the last day of the conference, we can almost guarantee that 15 or 20 young brothers is going to be put together, prospectively lead them towards marriage because we have already done that. Now, if you want to ask me how to do that, it's too much in this meeting because I don't have no more time. But I am willing. I, look, my, my email... My email is special sky, not special guy, but special sky, like the sky, at gmail. Because the special sky, you know what special sky is? That's the gender. So special sky at gmail. So special sky is one word, at gmail.com. So now send me an email and let me answer you. Let me give you some guidance. Let me give you some suggestions on how we can do this. You don't have to do it by yourself. So if you really are serious about this matter of marriage, and you should be, then let's...